different men and women uh, in the Gospels who uh, come to Jesus with many different backgrounds, um, ethnicities, circumstances, hopes, dreams, and fears, and we're seeing how Jesus loves them and interacts with them. As I, I, as I reflect, um, excuse me, on my own uh, come to Jesus journey, I can't help but think about the the family members and friends who have sacrificed uh, for me to come to Jesus, people who have uh, sacrificed and aided in getting me um, to the Lord. And today we look at a man whose come to Jesus moment was, was made possible by the help of his friends. This morning we'll be looking at Luke chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 17 on Jesus and his er- interaction with a paralytic. Um, so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 5, will be in verse 17, page 861 in your pew Bibles. Great. And if we could all stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What is your greatest need at this present moment? If the Lord were to grant you one miracle today, what would it be for you? What would you ask for? For some of us, it's financial. For others of us, it may be a physical need. For the rest of us, it could be relational or job-related or even family-oriented. Whatever it may be, at some point, we all desire something from the Lord. And while there are those of us whose, whose needs are kept private, What happens when your greatest need is obvious to everyone around you? When your need becomes known by all? Surely this is the case with paralytics, isn't it? 
just ask Christopher Wynn, the United States Airman who, after a diving accident, broke both his neck and fourth vertebrae, leaving him paralyzed from the shoulders down. For many who see him, it's clear that what he needs is to regain movement in his limbs. Nevertheless, this morning, I'm here to declare that even for a paralytic, one's greatest need is not in the physical, but is rather something much deeper. In our passage today, Jesus shows us that our greatest need may not be what's visible to the eye. Luke opens up in the story in verse 17. He says, on one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. So Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the Savior of the world, has popped onto the scene and is now taking the world by storm. Beginning in chapter 4, he's been preaching the Word and, and healing the sick like no one has ever seen before. His teaching is so marvelous. His presence is so glorious. Crowds are literally flocking just to get within earshot. This is because, as many of you know, Jesus' preaching is different. He speaks on another level of authority. You see, when Jesus speaks, the demons have to flee. When Jesus speaks, dead bodies get out of the ground. When Jesus speaks, the impossible suddenly becomes possible. When Jesus speaks, circumstances have to bow down in his presence. And as a result, he's been selling out arenas, packing out the temple, and everyone is yearning to find out just who is this man named Jesus. Word spreads, and this time, Jesus is going to be preaching at Peter's house. And so what do the crowds do? They flock. The house is packed. Though Luke tells us that amongst the crowd, there are some other guests who have shown up to hear Jesus speak. In fact, it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses. Who are the Pharisees? Well, they're the religious leaders, the, the rulers of the synagogue, the holy men with much power and influence in the Jewish community. The Bible, says, the Bible says they've come from every village, near and far, to come see Jesus. They've even come from Jerusalem, which would be the modern-day Washington, D.C., meaning they've, they've got the authorities coming to investigate this man named Jesus. Well, why are they here? Well, you don't think they've heard about the new preacher who's been taking their crowds at the synagogue. Not only that, supposedly the man can do miracles. And oh, they're coming to investigate just who is this man called Jesus? And we find out quickly that although the Pharisees study the word of God, they don't quite have the heart of God. And so the crowd is here, the Pharisees are present, and the power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal. It's as if Luke is shouting through the pages. It's about to go down. And lo and behold, in verse 18, we see exactly that. He says, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And so Jesus, he's inside of the house, and he's teaching. And the healing power of God is with him inside of the house. But on the outside of the house is a man who needs the healing power of Jesus. And while the Bible doesn't give us his name, it does give us his condition. He's paralyzed incapable of moving, no muscle functions, he's stuck. 
And because he's carried on a bed, his paralysis is severe. More than likely, he's paralyzed from the neck down. Because he can't function on his own, he's, he's dependent on family members and friends to take care of him. So long gone are the days of spontaneity. Long gone are the days of freedom. Freedom to run and jump and swim or climb. Freedom to start a family or have a successful career. Freedom to go to the Walmart of Jerusalem. I'm sure they had Walmarts then. And while this man's physical paralysis is evident, that may not be the only area in which he's paralyzed. You see, back in Jewish culture, it was believed that if you had a disease or an, an affliction, it was a direct result of your personal sin. So if you're paralyzed, people supposed it was because you had been living in sin or, or maybe because your parents had passed their sin down to you. So you can only imagine the social stigma and neglect. Every person who walks past you and sees your struggle and your misfortune and your condition believe it's due to your disobedience to God. And we've even brought that into 2019. And while the text doesn't say whether or not his paralysis was a result of his sin, the man knows it's a possibility. And every day that he's bound to his mat, he's reminded that his mistakes have gotten him in his situation. Therefore, not only is he stuck on his mat, but he's also stuck in his shame and his guilt. If anyone needs to see Jesus, it's this man. Thankfully, while he can't bring himself to the Lord, he has some persistent friends who will. Verse 18, it says, the friends were seeking to bring the man and lay him before Jesus. And that word seeking, it's an imperfect verb, meaning it was a recurring action. It was continuous. The men had tried several times before to bring their friend to Christ. This wasn't their first attempt, but had been trying and attempting to bring him to God for quite some time now. And although some of us may have become discouraged and given up, they knew if we could just get our friend in the presence of Jesus, his entire life could change. Well, how would they know this? Well, word was spreading about Jesus all over the nation. People had spoken about his ability to heal. Just one chapter before this one, Luke tells us that all who were sick with various diseases were brought to Jesus, and he healed every single one of them. All. And what does all mean in the Greek? All. It means, you name it, Jesus, he can heal it. And you know the men got a whiff of this. You see, they heard about the mom who brought her sick children to Jesus, and he healed them. And the teenager whose mind was clouded by depression, and Jesus healed him too. And the man who was covered from head to toe with leprosy, but Christ cleansed him as well. You see, they heard the testimony of the lady who was dying from cancer, but Jesus cured her too. And the couple whose hearts were broken beyond repair, but Jesus restored their hearts too. The friends say to the paralytic, we've got good news. We've met a man who can do it all. He can heal the sick and raise the dead. He gives hope to the hopeless and transforms the broken. He's not only able to heal, but he's willing to heal. And if he could transform the lives of others, he could do it for you as well. Friends, we've, we've carried you across town on this mat, and we're glad to do it. But the friends say, we cannot let you stay like this. Whatever it takes, we're getting you to Jesus Christ. And could it be, church, 
that God is calling you to be the same type of friends, where there are people who don't have the strength, courage, or ability to get to Christ on their own, but rather are depending on you to carry them to him. Friends, family members, coworkers, and classmates who are physically paralyzed, spiritually paralyzed, emotionally paralyzed, and need you to continue to pray and invite and share your faith and carry them into the presence of God. Surely, these men needed something from Jesus themselves, but at this moment, their focus was bringing their friend to the Lord. Whose mat are you carrying these days? At this point, the men know that Jesus is right inside the house. Though unfortunately, due to the size of the crowd, they're unable to get the paralyzed man inside the door. Now here, this is where they could have easily resolved to go back home. You know what? Well, we tried, we came, let's go back home and watch, watch the Golden State Warriors. But when someone you love is in need of a miracle, you do things you wouldn't normally do. When someone you know is in, in need of a miracle, you pray harder than you typically pray. And instead of giving up, these men are persistent. They determine if we cannot get him through the doorway, we'll just have to find another way. But either way, we're getting our friend to the Lord because his need is too great. And so what they decide to do is go on the roof to get their friend to Jesus. Now back then, it may be a little weird, but the way homes were set up, it was a two-story house with the ladder that went up the side of the house to the roof. And the roof was made of mud and sticks, uh, which means that it wouldn't have been too tough to bust through that thing, which is exactly what they do. Now reading, you, you have to ask two questions. First, what would give you the courage and audacity to ruin another person's roof in order to get inside? Moreover, what is the homeowner thinking when he sees part of his roof falling in? Scholars believe this to be Peter's house, and, and I'll just say this. Peter is the last person whose house you want to mess up. Oh, you know Peter. Peter is the disciple who's a bit hostile. Uh, Peter is the one who isn't afraid to speak his mind. Peter is the one who carries a knife and cuts off a soldier's ear at Jesus' arrest. Peter loves Jesus, but if you cut him off on the highway, he'll show you what he was like before he met Jesus. <laughs> Some of us are like that in this room right now. You don't want to mess with Peter. He's the last person whose house you want to mess up. And so one can only imagine what he must be thinking as he watches part of his roof begin to crumble. Now put yourself in the room for a moment. You're part of the crowd. You've traveled many, many miles to come hear Jesus speak. And now you're listening to the Son of God himself, the very Savior of the world. Preach the word. Your eyes, your ears, your hearts are attentive. But in the middle of the sermon, you begin to feel pieces of the roof falling down above you. And not only that, you notice a man being lowered through the roof of the house. How are you feeling? What are you thinking? You're thinking, what in the world is going on? Though your perplexity quickly turns into expectation. Because this is what you've been waiting to see, isn't it? 
Oh, you've heard that Jesus has the power to heal. You've heard he can do the miraculous. And now you have a front row seat at witnessing a paralyzed man stand up and walk. The crowd is ready to see a miracle. The Pharisees are focused on the law. Jesus is drawn to the men. Verse 20 says, and when he saw their faith, when he saw their dedication, how far the friends had come, the hope they had in seeing their friend healed, Jesus was moved. And finally, this paralyzed man is about to receive the healing he's always dreamed of. Nevertheless, the miracle that's expected is not the one that Jesus performs. It reads, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Well, hold on, Jesus, hold on. Why are we talking about sins? This is, a, this is a paralyzed man. The problem is with his legs. His body needs the miracle. He needs to be able to walk and do the cha-cha slide. But notice, Jesus says nothing about the man's paralysis or legs, but instead goes right for the man's soul. He bypasses the physical and heads straight for the spiritual. And what is Jesus demonstrating to us? That before he can deal with the physical paralysis, he must first deal with the spiritual paralysis. Before there can be a physical healing, there must first be a spiritual healing. Because, church, your greatest disease is not in your physical condition, but your greatest disease is your sin condition. The same sin condition that wrecked the relationship between God and humans back in Genesis chapter 3. The same sin condition that has crippled men and women in the church since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Here, we meet a man who is bound to his mat, but even more so, he's bound in his own mistakes. Unable to move forward in his relationship with God because of the shame and the guilt that has crippled him for so many years. Therefore, the true disease is not in his body, but rather it's in his soul. And so Jesus says, while I care deeply about your physical need, my first order of business is addressing your spiritual need. And this brings us to our first point. Forgiveness of sins is every person's greatest need. You see, because we live in a society that tends to focus on the exterior while neglecting the interior where many are healthy and wealthy on the outside, but crippled and dying on the inside, able to run, jump, shop, and drive on the outside, but stuck in sin on the inside, pursuing more education, better careers, greater marriages, but are unresponsive to the God in whose hand is their very breath. Jesus says, I'm not going to heal this man's physical body while allowing him to remain in the darkness of his soul because that's what's crippling him. And while you have other needs, your first need is to be made right with your heavenly Father. You need to be set free, which is why he declares your sins are forgiven. And that word forgiven, it's a powerful word. It's a liberating word. It means to be released from legal or moral obligation, to cancel or, uh, or pardon a loan or a debt, to have something against you let go to set someone free of guilt, shame, and liability. 
Although this paralyzed man needs to get free from his mat, the true liberation needs to occur in his soul. There's a pastor in a church in Alabama. His name is Robert Smith. And on the night of October 30th, 2010, he and his wife received a call that no parent ever wishes to hear. Their child had been murdered. And heartbroken, confused, and, and frustrated, past, Pastor Robert wrestled with God for forgiving their, their child's murderer for two years. And what he decided to do was after two years, he would write the young man and simply say, Son, I forgive you. The son's murderer, he, he writes back. He's a 17-year-old kid at the time. He says, Pastor Robert, thank you so much. These past three years in prison have been the worst of my life. Not only have I received threats from your family members, but I've been crippled in my shame and my guilt. Many days I wonder if I'll ever be able to make it or move on in my life. But now I feel like I have hope because you've forgiven me. And friends, can I tell you that while that prison may have been bad, what was really crippling him was the unforgiveness that was held by Pastor Robert, the shame and the guilt that was killing him. And what was needed was to, for him to be set free. And the truth is, while we may not be living in a physical prison, many of us are living in a spiritual prison, stuck, held hostage, tied to our own mistakes and wrongdoings. But Jesus has come to declare, your sins are forgiven. And so no longer do you have to stay tied up, held hostage, crippled in your sin, your loan, your debt. It's absolutely canceled. It can't be held against you anymore. Your sins are paid for. You can be free 100% from shame, guilt, and responsibility because your sins have been forgiven. And Missy O'Day, know this. Jesus cares so deeply for your financial needs, physical needs, and relational needs. He's right there with you, and he is at work. But your first need, church, is to be in right relationship with your heavenly Father. How's your soul doing? Truly, the greatest miracle is Jesus reconciling you, a broken sinner, with the holy God. Your sins are forgiven. And so surely when this paralyzed man hears that he has been forgiven of his sins, his soul jumps, his spirit lightens, his heart is elated. Though there are some others in the room who, who aren't quite convinced of this liberation. Verse 21, it reads, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? And so Jesus, he pronounces this man's sins forgiven. But the Pharisees get riled up. And this shouldn't surprise us because, after all, these are the teachers of the law. If anyone has studied the scriptures and knows what the Bible says, it's these men. And surely they've read Isaiah 43:25, where God says, I am he who blots out your sins and remembers them no more. And so surely they, they know it is only God who has the authority to forgive a person of their sins. And so when Jesus makes this bold declaration, it's as if, He's disrespecting God himself. Oh, he's blaspheming. But what the Pharisees don't know 
is that while they may have God the Father right, they have God the Son all wrong. They don't know that Jesus is actually God himself, which is why they question who can forgive sins but God? Who can make a person right with the Father? What gives you the right, Jesus, to take away a person's shame and guilt? What authority do you have, Jesus, to, to cancel a person's debt and set them free? Well, that's easy. And it brings us to our second point. Jesus is able to cancel our debt because he is the one who paid for it. A few years ago, a female college student who had an unbearable amount of student loans. Some of us can relate. Um, and she was working alongside of her father, taking jobs while she was in college to, to pay off some of that debt. But while she was in college, her, her father passed away. And so not only did she lose her dad, but she was also left with an unbearable amount of student loans. She couldn't pay it off on her own. There was no way. Though one day, she gets a phone call from a couple, and they say, young lady, we have great news. It's already been taken care of. We're going to pay it off for you. And friends, while that's a pretty amazing story, it pales in comparison to what Christ has done for you and me because there was a debt that stood in our way as well, a debt that was unbearable, a debt we couldn't pay on our own, and it was the sin that stood between us and our heavenly Father. But like Paul put it like this in his letter to the church at Colossae, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ, canceling the record of debt by nailing it to the cross. And so by Jesus sacrificing his own body and shedding his own blood, he paid off our debt 100% so that we wouldn't have to pay. And because of what Christ has done, we no longer have to carry the shame, guilt, and liability of our sins. We no longer have to stay bound in our present or our past mistakes because the blood already paid for it. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, Jesus can. One, because he's God. And secondly, because he's already paid for it by his death and resurrection. Jesus says to the Pharisees, which is easier, friends, to tell this man your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Now, in a way, it's, it's easier to say rise and walk because that can easily be proven. If Jesus tells the man to get up and walk, it will clearly be seen if he has the power to do so. But on the other hand, one cannot prove or disprove whether or not a person's sins have been forgiven because that's an inward manifestation. Thus, Jesus concludes, in order to show you, in order to make you believe, in order to prove to you that I'm God and have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to make this man walk. It's as if Jesus is saying, Friends, the tougher miracle was forgiven his sins. Now I'm about to perform the easier miracle, which is telling him to get up. And by the man getting up, it will be evidence that the forgiveness of his sins has taken root, that liberation has truly taken place in his soul. Now, church, this is a pressure-filled moment. Reason being, if Jesus tells the man to get up, and he can't, his entire ministry is shot because he obviously doesn't have the authority to heal or to forgive sins. If this 
does not work. Jesus has no merit as healer, Lord, or Savior. Nevertheless, here it goes. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Well, there you have it. A man who was spiritually crippled, emotionally imprisoned, physically immobilized, has just stood up in his own strength in front of an entire crowd. You can imagine the crowd is astonished. The Pharisees are staggered. The friends are overjoyed. And the man is set free. Not only does Jesus have the power to heal a physical infirmity, but he can heal the soul as well. It says the man rose, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home. The mat he had been lying on, the shame and guilt he was glued to, Jesus tells him to pick it up because God has repurposed it. And what was once his biggest impediment has now become his greatest testament to say, look at what God has done. The key is Jesus dealt with his spiritual paralysis first, which led to his physical healing. Meaning, our lives on the outside are evidence of what Christ has done on the inside. And you may not have everything the way you like on the outside, but, but let God set you free on the inside first and see what that does to your attitude, demeanor, purpose, and drive. And this brings us to our final point. Spiritual liberation manifests in physical liberation. The truth is, friends, on this side of heaven, not every physical infirmity will be healed. Not every circumstance will be great. But even when you are afflicted on the outside, you can still be free on the inside. You may not be the healthiest or wealthiest on the outside, but you can be fully liberated by Christ in your soul. There's a woman by the name of Joni, Joni Erickson Tata. And one day while she was diving in the Chesapeake Bay, she misjudged the, the shallowness of the water and, and ended up suffering a fracture between her fourth and fifth cervical levels. And so she became a quadriplegic, meaning she was paralyzed from the shoulders down. And after her injury, she was, for a time, very bitter against God, wondering why he would allow this to happen to her. So not only was she physically paralyzed, but she was also emotionally and spiritually paralyzed. But after some years, she let Jesus get on the inside and, and he forgave her and liberated her soul. And now she has the most joyous, bounding, dancing spirit. And after this, she, she became a Christian author and radio host and ministry leader and founder of an organization that serves those with disabilities. And in one of her books, she writes, Someday when I see Jesus, I know I will be glorified and will be on my feet dancing. One day I will be fully restored and relieved of my physical paralysis. But the beautiful thing is that though I have not been yet healed of my physical paralysis, I've been healed of the paralysis of my soul. In other words, she may not be able to dance physically until she gets to heaven, but she can dance spiritually for the rest of her days on earth. And church, the same is true for us. Our financial, 
physical, relational situations may not yet be where we hope, but we can trust that God is working. Furthermore, until our circumstances do change, we can shout and celebrate because of what Christ has done for us on the inside. We can be made whole, set free by the grace and goodness of Jesus. People ask, why do you live so freely, even though you're paralyzed? Why are you so quick to give, even though you don't have much money? Because I've been healed and set free by the grace of the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus healing the man's physical body was freeing. But what truly set him free was the forgiveness of his soul. In other words, the, the physical healing was impressive, though the greater miracle was the healing of his entire spirit. Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sins. In verse 26, it says, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And so everybody knew Jesus had the power to heal, but now they know that he has the power to save. Luke says it himself, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And so Luke's message for us this morning is this. While each of us have many needs, be it physical, financial, or relational, all of which God cares so deeply for, our greatest need is to be reconciled back to him. And this was made possible by Jesus giving his life on the cross for us and raising in all power and glory, paying the debt that we could not pay. And when we receive the free gift of grace that he offers, we have the right to, to pick up our mat and to walk into the freedom that God has called us to walk into. And today we, we met a man who was paralyzed not only in his body, but also in his soul. But by the help of his friends and the grace of our God, he was set completely free. And the same can be true for us if we would acknowledge where we might also be paralyzed. What mat are you lying on this morning? For some of us, it's shame and guilt from things we've done in our past. For others of us, it may be hurt um, from people or circumstances. Um, and some of you are in circumstances that are currently out of your control. And others of us may, may even have a lack of interest or trust in the Lord. And so you've been unable to move forward in your life as a Christian and in your relationship with God. And whatever it may be, you're, you're lying on a mat that Jesus has already told you to pick up. And know that Jesus isn't suggesting, but rather he's commanding to stand up, pick up your mat, and move toward him. He's already paid your debt. Your sin has already been take, taken care of. And so Christ is reaching out for you with open arms. The question is, will you respond? And for the rest of us, we're like the friends who, who have people in our lives who are spiritually paralyzed. And so we know people who are unable to get to the Lord on their own and are depending on us to carry them. And so whether it's continuing to invite invite them to church or intentionally investing in their lives or even continuing to pray for them, whatever they look, that looks like, Christ is calling us to carry those who can't get to him themselves. This is the good news. Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive our sins and to set us free, first on the outside and then on the inside. Truly, 
And here's the last slide. If, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray.